Good morning and welcome to the Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast. It's another Friday and another welcome to the weekend edition of the Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast. I don't know why this was running through my mind thinking of the weekend. Uh, I wonder if this is the week that Michigan plays Ohio State. And I wonder if that's still the biggest game, you know, Uh, at least this year. I believe that both teams are undefeated. Um, I could be wrong. But I don't remember Michigan losing any games, and I'm pretty sure Ohio State is undefeated. But um, So you would think that this would be the biggest game for people that follow college football, especially in an area like Pittsburgh. Um, when I lived out in Chicago, um, the Big Ten was a big deal. Uh, almost everybody that worked for me, like um, almost all the sales reps uh, who were young and out of college here, this was like 2005. Um, went to a Big Ten school. Now, some of them went to Illinois um, because we were in Chicago, but there was a credit guy that went to Iowa. Um, There was somebody that went to Michigan State, you know? And, you know, although no one went to Michigan, there were at least a couple of Michigan fans there. Uh, Even though we were in Chicago, um, people were Michigan fans. And I think that the fan base of Michigan football at the time. Maybe it was declining a little bit. Um, If you remember a movie, um, that movie where these people like um, have a reunion from college and I think that they drive onto like an icy pond and the the car sinks or something like that. I don't remember the movie, but that was all about people that went to Michigan, you know? And there was a few movies like this in the 80s, you know? Uh, Michigan graduates and, you know, what they turned out to be and stuff like that. Um, Back then, I think Michigan, with the big house and all that stuff, was the center of college football, at least in my mind, you know? Now, Penn State, for me, was the center of college football because I went to Slippery Rock and a lot of my friends went to Penn State. I went to Penn State games and Penn State was very good. You know, at this time, Penn State was not in the Big Ten Some of you younger guys uh, might not even realize that, but at that time, Penn State was still an independent, and they would still play teams like Notre Dame every year, and I don't know, independents play whoever. They would still play Pitt and Temple sometimes, and those teams were considered like um, cream puffs or whatever, you know? I mean, it was like easy wins early in the year to beef up your... um, you know, your win-loss record. And that was the biggest complaint about Penn State at the time was that they didn't have a tough interconference schedule because they didn't have a conference, you know? I mean, they would still play tough teams. I remember they played Nebraska during the year one year and stuff like that. You know, random teams across the country. But they were not in the Big Ten yet. And unfortunately, by the time they got to the Big Ten, the party was generally over for Penn State. Not completely. I mean, I remember they had an undefeated season um, where they did not. uh, Who was that quarterback they had? Out of the quarterback, um, he had some ties to Pennsylvania, I think. Um, He went on to um, have a little bit of a pro career. But the biggest player on the 2000 and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like 1990-something. I'm sure it was 1990-something. Um, the biggest player on that team was Kijana Carter. And then um, they also had a couple good receivers. 
And they had Kerry Collins. That was the guy. And I, I don't know why I'm thinking that he might have been from the Pittsburgh area. Probably wasn't, you know. My sister actually met him and said he was kind of a jerk, you know, which you would expect from football players, at least at that time, you know. I don't know if it's still like that. But I guess my point is, is Michigan and Ohio State still the biggest game in college football? Because over the last, I would say, 17 years, right, since I left Chicago, over the last 17 years, um, the SEC has more than flexed its muscles as far as being the best conference in the NFL. And it's the conference where most really good NFL players come from. Um, The only caveat to that is the place where my uh, nephew went, Clemson. Uh, Clemson kind of bucked the trend, and they won several national championships, um, and they even beat SEC teams from time to time in winning those national championships. So, I mean, there were some really good quarterbacks that came from Clemson. I think the guy that, uh, the massage dude <laughs> that is about to finish his, um, you know, his games that he was suspended for or whatnot, and finally make his debut with the Cleveland Browns, which they gave him by most, um, by most people, especially Steelers fans, uh, they gave him a probably too much money, you know, to get that contract. And they also gave him a lot of guaranteed money in that contract, despite the fact that, you know, he got caught for um, really being a perv, you know, when it comes to happy endings and massages, right? But in any case, I think we talked on this podcast before about how um, the Cleveland Browns have been struggling to find a quarterback since Bernie Kosar. They drafted so many high first round draft picks and none of them panned out, you know? And of course me, like only having one cup of tea, I'm not going to remember their names, you know? But um, nobody really remembers most of these guys' names because while they were good coming out of college and they were considered a top three pick at the time, they just never made it in the NFL. And there were so many of those guys, particularly for the Cleveland Browns, but really all over the place, you know? There were guys like Achilles Smith, you know? Guys that you just, and he, I think, was a Bengal, but guys that you just sort of forgot about because they never panned out to their number one, two, three draft pick, you know? And we're kind of living that now, and we're wondering if the Jets draft pick at quarterback, that young-looking kid, will ever become, you know, this great quarterback in the NFL, or even the guy for Jacksonville, who at the time was considered... um, I don't know. It's kind of like they say about a lot of people. And people threw this around about the Jacksonville quarterback, that he was the best quarterback in a decade or something like that. He had all the measurements, you know, the height, the arm strength, you name it, you know, the physicality of a quarterback, if I guess if you want to go there, even though I don't think that's a real word. And it annoys me when people use that word, but it's not going away when describing football, you know, physicality. Um, but I guess my point is that, um, Georgia is number one right now. Alabama is always in the discussion. People always get excited about LSU. You know, I think it's just cool that their uniforms are really cool. You know, they've won a couple national championships. 
most people have been to um, New Orleans, you know. Um, New Orleans got a lot of um, hype when, uh, not hype, I mean, that's a bad thing to say about a hurricane, but um, when the hurricane went through there, New Orleans got a lot of press, you know. And LSU was a big story. The Saints were a big story. And then some people that went to LSU, like, I want to say that um, the... um, uh, the Green Bay Packers quarterback um, before um, Aaron Rodgers went to LSU. I could be wrong about that, but I know he was a Southern dude, you know. But in any case, those are the big three to me. I like Old Miss, and I think Old Miss is in the um, SEC. I like them, but I don't think they win that often, you know. There's a couple more LS. There's a couple more SEC teams that I'm forgetting. Um, I think Arkansas is in the SEC, and they they were good like several years back, but I don't think they've been that good lately. Um, but you know what I mean. And then there was a couple Florida teams that were really good for a while in the eighties. That's that fizzled out after that, um, like Miami and Florida State. I mean, those certainly aren't considered um, like powerhouses, you know. But Alabama has probably been the longest-running powerhouse. And then Georgia has been pretty darn good for the last 20 20 years, 20-plus years, you know. So Alabama, Georgia, in most of the country, is probably a bigger game than uh, Michigan and Ohio State, you know. But at least for me, like being an older guy, um, I still like watching Michigan and Ohio State, you know, that always interests me. Um, and my history of living in Chicago and Pittsburgh and places like that, you know, um, that game interests me more. I might watch some of that game and I doubt I'll watch any of the game between Georgia and Alabama. I might, but I'm not a college football guy, you know. So that that rant, that ramble just lasted like 10 minutes and I'm not sure what I even said. But um, we did have some big news in the area of Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday. G-Man Choi was um, traded from Tampa Bay to the Pirates. And even though Tampa Bay usually pulls off great trades, I don't think that this guy that the Pirates traded is probably ever going to become this great player. Um, Tampa Bay just wanted to get rid of G-Man Choi from their 40-man roster um, because... They um they had a little bit of a crunch, you know, as they usually do. And they got to figure out what prospects they're going to promote to the 40-man roster so they don't lose them in the Rule 5 draft, you know. And generally, they tend to trade those guys. But in this case, um, they were having trouble trading um, some of their 40-man roster guys, um, the prospect guys, because other teams also have those same problems. Um, so they were able to trade uh, G-Man Choi, to a team that needed desperately a first baseman, and that was the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? So I was a little bit surprised by the lack of buzz on Twitter about G-Man Choi. Now, I understand that he's only an average player, you know, maybe slightly above um, replacement level, you know. I also understand that in general, whenever the Pittsburgh Pirates pick someone up, Um, Unless it's a superstar, which never happens, you know. Um, The fans aren't that excited about it. And I think this is the reason why. And it's even with people that don't like nutting, you know. 
It's even with people that are more realistic about the Pirates' chances that listen to my podcast. There's this fantasy that um, we're going to play all prospects and we're going to become this super team, you know? And this is a this is a fantasy that most Pittsburgh Pirates fans have. Now, I think in general, um, teams like young players, and I don't think that's ever changed, you know? Because maybe you see these guys play in college, you know, and you want them to succeed. And usually it's the NFL, right? So with the Steelers, there was a lot of excitement around Najee. There's a lot of excitement around Pickett. There's a lot of excitement around Pickens, you know, guys like that, you know. And, you know, even defensive guys that they draft out of the um, the college ranks. Uh, I think you, you get that, but to an extended um, extent with young players when you're talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know. Like when people go to bed and close their eyes at night, you know, they have this dream once in a while that the Pittsburgh Pirates just become this super team based on all young players that came came up through the system in the last three or four years, you know, and you're catching this lightning in a bottle thing, you know, and all these young players end up being superstars, you know, and everything's fun and great and you win the division and possibly you win the World Series, you know. I mean, this is a fantasy that if it ever happened, like most fantasies, it would probably be a little disappointing to where it is like when you close your eyes and think about it, you know, going to bed at night. But I think this is the fantasy that most people hold because there wasn't a lot of buzz on Twitter from NS9 or, I don't know, anybody that usually tweets about um, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Even though they're getting an above replacement level guy and even though um, it's certainly um, adequately for the time being, you know, gives you someone that can play first base, you know. He's probably a little bit better than Michael Chavis. And Chavis worked his butt off, you know. Chavis struck out too much. Um, but Chavis worked his butt off at first base. And really, you have to give that guy some props, man, you know. He did everything he was asked to do from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they dumped him like an old bag of potatoes with um, roots growing out of it, you know. They threw him away like an old tissue, you know, during cold season. And that's a shame, you know. I mean, I did a podcast on the Chavis era, and that was the biggest part of it was how they just threw him away, and it was just a side story, you know. Like the same day they got rid of um, that guy that everybody hated, they got rid of Chavis, you know. And it was there was like 10 games left in the season, and, you know, it was whatever, you know. I mean, it would have been more respectful to Chavis to just keep him. But at the time, they had to drop a few million bucks off the payroll because they wanted to pick up Andahar, you know? So that is why they dumped Chavis. But my point with first base is that Chavis wasn't a great first baseman, you know? But there's certainly a lot of pictures and a lot of videos where he stretched to catch balls that were thrown by, you know, middle infielders that weren't great throws, you know? And he made the scoops, you know? And he held the, um, even though he's not that tall, he held first base with his um, with his toe, you know, while making those catches. So you got to give some props to Chavis. But yeah, I mean, that's the biggest problem with Chavis. Like, even though the Pirates brought him up, 
They gave him an entire year in the minor leagues to, um, I guess, to polish up his game, you know, from what he was with the uh, the Boston Red Sox, you know, and he was not good enough because he had too big a holes in his swing and he just could not lay off that high fastball, you know. I mean, a lot of guys swing at that um, that low breaking ball because it's really trickery, you know. It looks like it's coming in for a strike, and the best throwers bounce it up there and get swings, you know. Like, most players have a tough time laying off that pitch. That's something that um, even O'Neill Cruz is still working on, you know. And he takes too many strikes because he's still trying to figure out um, that pitch, you know. It's this whole pitch recognition nonsense that people love to talk about, pitch recognition. I think it's a really boring thing to talk about. But, you know, people that write prospect sites on Twitter, they love to say that this guy's got great pitch recognition or this guy's got to work on his pitch recognition or, you know, his biggest problem is pitch recognition, you know. But maybe that was the problem with Chavis because he could never lay off that high fastball. He got worse as the season went on as far as the strikeouts, and the Pirates ended up dumping him, right? So they pick up G-Man Choi, who has pretty good stats, you know? His stats are probably identical to um, Ben Gamble as far as doubles, home runs, you know, stuff like that, you know? But he plays first base, you know? So, I mean, at least this was a slight upgrade to your team. But the biggest thing is this fantasy, right? Like, people in Pittsburgh want to see all the kids, and they have this fantasy that that is somehow going to succeed, you know? So there is a guy that we traded for from St. Louis um, who projects, he's only 21 years old, so he projects to be maybe a decent first baseman, you know? And then we also have Mason Martin, who people really liked. He had a couple great years. He has great power. But man, he just didn't have a good year last year, you know? He batted 210. And batting 210 in AAA, you're probably looking at 140, 145 in the major leagues. Even if you do hit some home runs, that's too low of an average, you know? It's unacceptable, you know? But there's this fantasy that we can fill every position with prospects, you know? And I've gone over it, you know, how potentially there's some there. The outfield is a mess, right? But potentially you could fill your infield with prospects, you know? If you're talking about um, Andy Rodriguez at catcher and Henry Davis at first base and Nick Gonzalez at second base, and then you have, you know, the guys that are already there fill out the rest of the infield, you could see that working, right? I mean, you could see those guys being good enough, you know? It's just that we don't have any outfielders, you know? Um, once we dump Reynolds, which I think will be sooner than later, um, you have guys like Travis Swaggerty, you know, he's the only pick that I can think of that was an outfielder, you know, they just haven't drafted enough outfielders either, you know, and you pin all your hopes on guys maybe that are already in, um, on the team like Jack, um, Suwinski, you know, uh, it's hard to imagine that they're going to see more than another year of Cal Mitchell, you know? He's just got too many weaknesses for an outfielder. And there's also this fantasy that G. Wan Bay 
is going to pan out to be this great outfielder. Now, there's a chance that he might be good, though, you know. But this is so risky, you know, thinking that all these guys are going to pan out when generally only 10, 10 to 15% of these guys pan out, that you have to bring in some players, you know, and you have to keep some players, you know, that are not an all-rookie team or an all-lightning-in-a-bottle team because that's never going to work, you know. It'll work for a team like the Guardians because they're very good at drafting. They're very good at trading. And at least this year, they were super good at finding international talent, you know. I mean, super, super good. They probably had six or seven starters. Now, this includes the pitchers um, that were from the Dominican, you know, or perhaps from Venezuela or somewhere like that, you know. I mean, they are very good at it, you know. The Pittsburgh Pirates have not been good at drafting over the past 15 years, maybe longer, you know. Most of their first-round picks have been busts, almost all of them, you know. And the ones that did succeed, like Garrett Cole, they got traded away pretty quickly, you know. Incidentally, that Garrett Cole trade wasn't horrible in that you traded Garrett Cole and you got Joe Musgrove. So if you only would have kept Joe Musgrove, you know, and had him be the ace this year, that trade wouldn't have been a disaster. But herein lies the pirate, the Pirates' problem. They don't keep anybody longer than four and a half years, you know. So by the time you traded Musgrove, he was just coming into his own, you know. And then we got someone back in that Musgrove trade. But whoever it is will be gone in a couple years. You see where I'm going with this? It's just that wash, rinse, repeat that everybody knows that the Pittsburgh Pirates do, you know. And this is the reason that Everybody wants to catch this magical lightning in a bottle. But in reality, 2013, 2014, and 2015, that's not really what happened. There were a few young prospects on those teams, but a lot of those guys were just people that had been around the league for a while, you know, like the bullpen, you know, guys like grilled cheese and stuff like that, you know. Those guys had been around for a while, you know. The strategy was somewhat is to find guys that have been around the league, like Liriano, but they're not going to cost you a lot of money, like A.J. Burnett. You know what I mean? That was more the strategy. It wasn't about all young players and catching lightning in a bottle. But for some reason, that's where the fantasy lies right now, particularly with the Pirates fanboys, who I had to delete from my Twitter, because every time I made a comment about, you know, Henry Davis isn't having the best season Nick Gonzalez is regressing a little bit. Um, those guys, you know, they would give me like the clown faces and stuff like that, you know, and call me a parody account and stuff like that because, you know, they actually believe Cody Duncan, you know. But here's the, the surprising thing to me is that even a lot of my followers on Twitter, you know, even a lot of people my age were not happy with bringing on G-Man Choi because they would rather see a team full of kids, you know. They would rather see Mason Martin get a shot at it, you know, or they would rather see Malcolm Nunez get a shot at it. That's that guy from the Cardinals that I mentioned. Um, it's just this fantasy that you have at night when your wife is asleep or wife is still downstairs doing the dishes and you close your eyes and you think about what if the Pittsburgh Pirates hit on everybody 
and catch lightning in a bottle, you know? And you have Anthony Solometto and, I don't know, um, Bubba Chandler, you know, pitching well, you know? And maybe you still have um, Mitch Keller because you extended him, you know? And maybe this is the last year before we have to trade um, O'Neill Cruz, you know? It's this whole lightning in a bottle four-year fantasy, you know, that all these guys have been with the team four years or less, you know. It's never going to happen. You should be happy at least a little bit with G-Man Choi because he's going to cost $4.7 million in arbitration. They're probably going to flip him at the deadline. But at least the Pirates spent $2.5 bucks on somebody, you know, which is actually more than I thought they would do. <laughs> so enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the college football. It's going to get a little chillier. No snowflakes yet, but it's going to get a little chillier this weekend um, in the Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania area or wherever you might be. Um, We love you. Get ready for Thanksgiving as well. Peace out.